You're listening to City Beat, a partnership between Riverwest Radio and online daily UrbanMilwaukee.com. I'm your host, Jeremy Janine, president and co-founder of Urban Milwaukee. And for this special Christmas edition of the show, we will be joined by developer Julie Kaufman. Julie is far from a conventional real estate developer. While developing modern apartment buildings has been the real estate industry's bread and butter for the last decade, Kaufman has instead developed an environmentally friendly office building in a neighborhood known for factories, a restaurant and small offices in a long bacon tavern, and a food hall in a 90-plus-year-old bank. And she's done it all with a truly unique assortment of partners and financial backers. We will learn all about those projects and more over the next half hour. Stay with us. Julie Kaufman, welcome to City Beat. Thanks for having me. I want to open with how you describe what it is that you do. On the Fixed Development About Us page, you describe yourself as a quadruple bottom line entrepreneur. What does that mean? Well, that means that I like to have more than just financial, personal financial impact with the work that I do. So the quadruple bottom line talks about um, having positive environmental impact, positive social impact adding to the cultural landscape, and then, of course, having financial impact. But just not for me, you know, for others. I like to simplify it these days and just say I use real estate as a tool for social change. And how did you get into this? Well, of course, I don't have a traditional real estate background, so I came to it as an environmental activist and a neighborhood activist. So that's sort of my backstory is that I, I'm a change agent. I like to, you know, rabble rouse a little bit. And I've always been involved in the neighborhoods I've lived in. And I always viewed real estate as something that wasn't necessarily supportive in the neighborhoods I lived in and wanted to make a difference and ultimately took it on. Let's start by talking about your latest project to open. I think it was November 30th, the Sherman Phoenix opened. Tell us what is the Sherman Phoenix? Because I've described it as a food hall, but it's that would be doing it an injustice because that's it's far beyond that. Sherman Phoenix is really the epitome of using real estate as a tool for social change. And for those who know the story of Milwaukee two years ago, um, at the end of summer in 2016, there was essentially a civil uprising that resulted from a backlash of a police shooting of a resident of Sherman Park. And one of the buildings was um, burned during that uprising, and it was the uh, bank building. And... At the time, you know, I was really frustrated. A lot of people were. There was a national conversation about Milwaukee, and it was in a very negative light. And we were saying, you know, we're really tired. We're really tired of this national narrative focused on predominantly racial segregation and the implications. And, of course, you know, there was the Black Lives Matter movement at that time really burgeoning. And I felt it created an opportunity for me. And I was approached by my partner on the project now, Joanne Sabir, about, you know, what can we do? And it's kind of a long story and we don't have that much time, but ultimately we reached out through Twitter to try and find some space for a juice kitchen. My partner, Joanne, is the founder of the Juice Kitchen located at 16th and North Avenue in Lindsay Heights. And um, she thought maybe I should bring that to Sherman Park at the request of the alderman. And I agreed I'd work with her. And we ended up coming across this bank because of my colleague, Shell Opperman, also a commercial real estate developer, and decided, wow, let's make this more than a juice kitchen. It has grown from there, and the Sherman Phoenix today has evolved tremendously. It's a juice kitchen, but it's much more than that. We have 30 tenants, and about a third of them are food-related. So there is essentially a food hall. You know, we have popcorn pizza, vegan food, chicken wings. We have a whole range of food. And then we also have health and wellness. So we have 
a yoga studio. We have a martial arts studio. We have cultural offerings. Um, we have paint and sip art studios. We have, you know, just a whole range of beauty shops and barber shops and nail salons and an apothecary. It's really a real rich and exciting and diverse environment. And we opened, you're right, on November 30th. I just have to mention the opening was an outpouring of joy. It was just the energy was incredible. It's the greatest experience I've had since I've lived in Milwaukee. And where does this all happen? I don't think you said exactly where oh, right the Sherman on. Phoenix is. Right on. It was a burn bank, formerly a BMO Harris Bank, located at um, the intersection of 35th and Fond du Lac Avenue. Okay. So that's, you know, an area I think people, they kind of, when they think of Fond du Lac, have this kind of, well, I start maybe downtown and I end up way on the northwest side on the highway. What other kind of landmarks are in there? How do you interact with the rest of the community through the food hall? Well, it's really the eastern gateway to Sherman Park. And Sherman Park has historically been this rich, amazing place in Milwaukee and remains that today. It's like many of our neighborhoods. So it does kind of get into a place where there's a lot of commercial foreclosures. So when you talk about landmarks, there aren't many that I point to. It's not far from Century City, which is kind of experiencing resurgence. and But really, there's not a lot of retail. And part of what we've experienced in opening Sherman Phoenix is that there's this tremendous response. We have 100% occupancy and a waiting list. And we have been packed every day we've been o- since we've been open. And that's a response to the, the desert, basically, of opportunity and retail environment in a 35th. So you've talked about 30 tenants. You've talked about there's like a, a wait list now. That's, yeah. that's great to hear. How big is this space? You know, it's about somewhere between 15 and 20,000 square feet of usable space. I've been listening. You were talking to Tim Gachman the other day about his food hall, and it's a much, his is much, much smaller. One thing that happened as we were building this, you know, of course, we didn't intend to make a food hall or a space with 30 tenants. That was not my intention. It was to open a juice kitchen. As it happened and as it grew, there were some uh, stories in the paper because food halls become much about a conversation we're having now. And we recognized and realized that we're bigger than the Milwaukee public market, that we have more tenants than the Milwaukee public market. And that kind of scared me because, you know, I'm not a mall developer and I don't really have experience in that. So it's it's been this incredible response and reaction. And we've just basically been evolving. And one thing that makes it work for us is that this is really a project that is about relationships and not transactions. And so I don't think we've got it perfect, but the communities really embraced that and said, you know what, it's a work in progress and it's um, it's ours and we're going to make it what we want it to be. Tell me about, I guess you mentioned it's, you know, it's about relationships. All your projects seem to be permeated with this reality that it's not just you. There's often another partner there, uh, whether it's Jeremy Davis at the Wally Schmidt Tavern, but Joanne Sabir in this case, how did you meet Joanne? How did you determine she was the right person for this project? Yeah, I, partners are really critical to me, and um, all of the projects I undertake have a community-driven component. So it's I want to make sure I'm partnering with a neighbor in every case. There's a co-development model in my projects. There's a community response in terms of tenants, so all the tenants are local and typically of the community. And then um, there's community investors. So the people who own the projects involved that I develop all are often neighbors of the project. And that community responsiveness is because I'm not a traditional developer, right? I, I started by telling you I'm an activist, and I'm interested in social and racial equity and environmental sustainability. And um, if you're solely motivated by a bottom line or other things that motivate you, you'll make different choices. And because those matter to me, that's just inevitable and natural to me that that's how my partnerships come together. And I met Joanne um, working in the Lindsay Heights neighborhood, I worked on a project for Walnut Way Conservation Corps and got to know her. And it was because the alderman asked her to move, go to Sherman Park. We both haven't really done work in Sherman Park, so we agreed to partner together to bring her expertise in community relationships and mine in terms of real estate. And honestly, 
Every single tenant that's in that building is a result of relationships Joanne and her husband, Manan Sabir, have in this community. It's the strength of those relationships that built the tenant base. And the alderman, you've referenced his title a couple of times. His name is Khalif uh, Rainey. Rainey. Yeah. So some free promo for him, I guess. Shout out to Khalif. <laughs> yeah. He's great. You know, he in the, there was a story that was published at the end of the uprising in the New York Times. And Joanne and Manan Sabir, my partners, um, were featured in that story. And it was about the black middle class. And it featured Milwaukee. And once again, wasn't necessarily very rose-colored because it, this experience isn't here when you're a person of color. And at the end of the story, though, they were talking about the uprising, and they said, what we really need in Sherman Park is a juice kitchen. That would be the phoenix rising from the ashes of this burning. So that's where this, the name comes from, really, is um, Khalif Rainey Alderman. And at our groundbreaking, I remember him being asked, well, Khalif Rainey, do you think a yoga studio will really work in your neighborhood? Like, do you do yoga? And the alderman's response was, you know what, I don't. But that's because unlike many neighborhoods in Milwaukee, I don't have one on my block. And maybe once that I do, I will start to, you know, practice yoga. And I think that's the point of this is that access should be available to all for yoga or for whatever else, for pizza, whatever you want. We bring, you know, what all of us want in our neighborhoods to Sherman Park. You've mentioned the juice kitchen now a couple of times. Explain to listeners that might not know what that is, what it is. The juice kitchen is this response from the Sabir family who lives in Lindsay Heights at 17th and North Avenue, and they were experiencing some health challenges with their kids and found that juicing really helped their health and well-being, which is not a surprise to a lot of people who try and eat healthy. And so they um, really got into juicing, decided it was an offering they wanted in their community, and came up with a business plan and opened a juice business at 17th and North Avenue. And it's thriving. It has a wait, waiting line almost every day that it's open. And so a lot of people who aren't familiar with the neighborhood or might have some built-in misperceptions might think, how could a juice bar work at 17th and North Avenue? And they are proof positive that these are things that we all want. Yeah, I've stopped by a couple times. I'm a self-confessed smoothie addict. Excellent. Ginger <laughs> shot? Have you done a ginger shot? I have not done a ginger <laughs> shot. Is that a recommendation? Absolutely. It's better than caffeine. Let's talk about another project nearby, the Wally Schmidt Tavern, which is, again, on Fond du Lac Avenue. How did you stumble upon, hey, I want to do a project here? Why did you do it? How did you choose Jeremy Davis as a partner? Well, I just came off doing some projects in Walker's Point. That's really where I cut my teeth as a developer and started calling myself a developer. I, I really wasn't one before that, but because I built some buildings, I now am given this title. And in that case, Walker's Point was my neighborhood. I was living there at the time, so I had a sense of the community and what it needed I was then recruited to do some work for Walnut Way, an organization that is in Lindsay Heights, a neighborhood at 17th and um, Fond du Lac. And through that, I, I got to know a lot of people. And it just turned out that at the time um, I finished the project I was working on there, I was out of an office. I had had an office in a building that was sold. And so I was looking for an office. And I thought, well, why not here? I'm, I love this neighborhood. I've gotten to know so many people. So I was really just looking for an office. And then I saw a building was available, foreclosed, a city foreclosure right on the block, and looked at it and was told that Jeremy Davis, who also works at Walnut Way, had looked at it forever but never had the ability to kind of lift it and do it. And so it felt like a perfect marriage. It's a place I wanted to occupy. I have the experience to build it, but I didn't know the neighborhood. And so he brought that neighborhood perspective and excellent skills and relationships. And I, um, together, we lifted that project. Tell us about what happens there today, because you've had a, a variety of different, I think, office tenants upstairs. And then you have what everyone knows, the Tandem Restaurant on the first floor. What's going on there now? Right. It is the Tandem Restaurant. I hope that a lot of listeners have been there. It's an amazing um, social enterprise that is very committed to serving food that's delicious, uh, that draws people from across the city, but that also hires locally and really gives 
um, first-time employment for a lot of local neighbors who may not have had a job before or may have a past that made it difficult for them to get a job. So Caitlin Cullen is the chef owner. She's incredible. The reason we have a sit-down restaurant is we knew that was a deficit of that in the neighborhood. There was no place to really go besides Jake's, the longtime lunch spot, which is nearby, but no dinner spot. Um, no place that really diversified your offerings. And so we spent a lot of time trying to find the right fit and ultimately found Caitlin and she was willing to come there. We had a commercial study that said basically the neighborhood needs everything, everything you can think of that you'd want in your own neighborhood, it needed. So a restaurant was a great place to start a gathering place. And then again, upstairs, we have eight office tenants and there's a, there, it filled immediately because there's, um, you know, an absence of this high quality space that everybody wants in their own neighborhood. So it's just a range of types of offices. My own office was there. Eventually, actually, I'm moving today. I am moving my office out um, because we have excess demand and I'm making room for some additional tenants to move in. So I used to be on the top floor of the building and now it's a law office shared by three lawyers who do predominantly work in children's court as one example. So it's great. And to paint a visual picture, we're talking about the traditional kind of two or three story bar. So these offices are kind of one room, high quality, kind of common space. Is that correct? Absolutely. And, and what we did was we put a price point on them, you know, that people pay between 250 and 350 a month. So it's a really affordable price point. Urban Milwaukee might be relocated. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, well, we're full right now. We have a wait list. But there's a shared conference room, so you can kind of not pay extra for that space, but can use it when you need it. You know, a lot of people just um, office surf now. They don't really need a physical space, but it gives people a landing spot when they want to have meetings. And so it's a it's a beautiful restored building, a classic iconic Milwaukee bar. When you walk in, there's a historic bar. The gorgeous tile. I fell in love with the floor. It's like this gorgeous tile that you can never get anymore. And it's it's a gathering place for the community now. They're doing a crowdfunding drive right now. And what what's the purpose of the crowdfunding drive? Yeah, so Caitlin Cullen, the chef, owner of the restaurant, um, has made it two years, which is kind of a big mark for a lot of small businesses, especially restaurants. And she's decided that her passion and mission around supporting employees, especially from the neighborhood, takes a lot of time and effort and work and money. And she'd really like to dig deep into that and stay committed to that. And in order to do that, she wants to raise a little exceptional money. Uh, to get her a little bit out of debt, she's going to partner with a nonprofit to um, build that sort of workforce development piece of her restaurant model. So she's doing an Indiegogo right now. It's on um, on the Indiegogo site. You can search the Tandem Restaurant and find it. She's just trying to raise some money to retire that debt. Okay. I guess tell us a bit about how you finance these things because I know I think you've in jest said in the past that you hate banks. Well, if there's not a bank, how are you getting these projects off the ground? Yeah, for me, um, I've learned that a lot of the businesses I want to support, a lot of the projects I want to get done, they aren't financeable. Like the traditional financial system does not support these projects. I'm working on a hostile project we might want to talk about now that, you know, nobody's ever – there isn't one before, so there's no comparable. There's no, you know, benchmark you can look to. Um, 17th and North, it's a building surrounded by board-ups and foreclosures. I'm proposing a restaurant deal for a first-time restaurant owner. These are projects that banks, you know, just aren't structured to support. So it's not as much that I hate banks, but that I think the traditional financial systems do not work for the sorts of small businesses that I want to see in my neighborhood, and they do not work in disinvested neighborhoods typically. It's a very difficult transaction. So the way we get our deals done is we don't look to um, banks to be our lenders. We look to neighbors to be our lenders. And over the course of the evolutions of my projects, I, I started to try and build relationships with people with resources more than me to help do that. And I realized, you know, you might need to be a bigger, build a bigger pool, but you can really just ask people like me or people with not many resources to participate. 
And we started to um, get to know crowdfunding laws and things have changed over the last 10 years, but now there are crowdfunding laws. And essentially what we do is we say uh, for a minimum of $1,000 in any of my projects, anybody can basically be an investor. And in the Wally Schmidt Tavern we just talked about, I think we have 43 owners of which a third come from the neighborhood. In the Sherman Park, Sherman Phoenix project, we have over 60 owners. Almost half are from the neighborhoods around Sherman Park. So you know, not everybody puts in $1,000, some put more, and we definitely rely also on some more what you'd call angel investors up to as much as $100,000 in some cases. But all of those owners come together, and then instead of paying a bank back, I give a return on investment to those community owners. And it's a great way to keep wealth in neighborhoods and recirculating wealth. And now is the appropriate spot, I guess, for me to disclose that my wife and yes. I have invested the minimum $1,000 into your hostel project. Yes. You know, a lot of it was like, I just want to see how this works. What's it like to invest in a real estate project? So far, I'm (laughs) I'm only in the get nervous stage at the moment. Construction just started on the hostel. I guess, tell us about it. Tell the audience about it. Where is the hostel? What's the vision there? Who's operating it? Because unusual for you, you're not going to be the operator in this case. Uh, What's going on with the Cream City Hostel? Well, the Cream City Hostel is a project located at um, the western end of River West on Center Street at the intersection of Center and Holton. And I'm thrilled that you, you know, let people know that you're an investor because, you know, if I were to, you know, it's not necessarily a secret. I I can't disclose my ownership list, but, you know, you would be surprised at how many people you know who are now involved in these projects because it's just all Milwaukeeans. And the hostel project is in a building that um, was originally built as a bank and then became a Head Start program called the Centro del Nino. So a lot of people might recognize it, this bank. It's an iconic building, but it's been shuttered vacant at an MPS school that was closed for a decade or more. So it's kind of this a classic, like, you know, holding the neighborhood back building that hasn't had any activity. And it's a long story, but I've been working with um, Carolyn Weber, who's the proprietor of Coast Inn Bikes in Milwaukee. She's wanted to open a hostel in the city forever, and there is none in the city, and it's been her personal passion. And we tried for a couple of years to get it going and have hit a lot of hurdles. And when this building came up in the surplus list from the city of Milwaukee, I was like, Carolyn, it's a dream come true. It's meant to be a hostel. And long story short is we, you know, we developed a plan. We put it out to neighbors and got, I think we have over 60 owners in the hostel as well and raised a lot of money. In this case, I actually do have a traditional bank. It's a rare one. Tri-City Bank is a lender and they've partnered with Milwaukee Development Corporation, who's also partnered. So half of our funding is from a bank. I do it occasionally. <laughs> and that project is supposed to open in June, is that correct? Or May 1st. May 1st. All right. How will this work? What is a hostel, I guess, versus a hotel? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, a hostel is a place that people have st- might have some um, understanding of from Europe. People backpack around Europe and stay at hostels. That's the most common manifestation, but it's actually the fastest growing lodging segment in the United States. It's basically just more like how we are familiar with social um, sharing with car rides, and it's a social platform for lodging. So people share rooms. You stay in a bunk. It's very affordable. Our um, lowest price point is $25 for a bed for a night, but you got to be willing to bunk on a bunk with somebody you don't know, but it's a very common. Um, I've never done it. I've never done it. I'll be honest. It's very common, but I've never done it. Uh, I've done it in Germany. And what'd you think? It was wonderful, but I was with a large group. I'm curious. I don't think that's the normal traveling thing. I was with 40 people and we took over like an entire floor. Curious to see how it'll work in Milwaukee with, you know, one or two people. I think Carolyn's vision is 
there's this like bike traffic across the country and she's going to tap into that. How will that work? I'm really curious to see how it turns out. We will find out. I mean, Visit Milwaukee gets tons of inquiries about it. So there's just a whole segment of the population that travels this way and it's growing. So we're we're real confident it's going to work. Well, that's that's good to hear. <laughs> for you, for your return on money, investment. Yeah. No, I mean, I as I said, I kind of put the money in. You know, I believe in the project. I think a hostel is something that can succeed, but also I just kind of want to see how it works. My, I guess the natural nerd inside of me just wants to understand. Well, how do these like not? I don't know if you call it crowdfunding at this point, but small investment small investment transactions. Yeah, play out. I mean, so far all of my projects have cash flowed as they've projected, and everyone's got the return I've projected. So the track record's good, but every project has a risk. You know, in this case, the risk is it's one tenant, and if that tenant doesn't thrive, there's no backup plan. Um, so. What I love about it, though, is it's going to bring this new energy to River West, and it's a new offering in Milwaukee, so it'll bring people to Harambe and River West, and it'll drive business to the commercial corridor here. So, you know, the great businesses that are already in River West will get more traffic because of these 50 guests that stay there every night. Your last two projects, I guess, the, the hostel and then the Sherman Phoenix that just opened, they're both in, like, traditional 1920s banks. Right. Is, is there something to that that you kind of have a familiarity with, or is that just by chance? I think it's by chance, but if I had to think about it a little bit, what I would say is if you, you look at a lot of neighborhoods where there are board ups, they tend to be these, you know, really old movie theaters or really quote unquote beautiful old single purpose buildings. And part of the issue is money doesn't flow there, but it's also they're really hard to redevelop because they're expensive. You know, they've built, they've been built for this one purpose to repurpose them into a different format costs a lot and it's already a high barrier to go into these neighborhoods where everything's kind of stacked against you so using the innovations that we do in my projects helps overcome that so i guess i think they kind of draw my model to them okay so what's what's next for you what, mm. what can you divulge i'm retiring you're retiring i don't believe that for a second <laughs> I do truly need a break. So I am kind of at a weird place in my career. I don't have, I'm building a house in River West right now. That's kind of a fun side project. I live here in River West where we're talking on the radio right it, now. And you live in a house you built back when you were just Julie Kaufman pragmatic construction, not right. Julie Kaufman developer. Right. I Yeah, I yeah. that's a long story. I'm living in a house <laughs> that my company built probably over a decade ago, and I'm building a new one that I'm moving into on a city vacant lot. You know, I do have some work that is less talked about, but I work for a client who has a goat farm in Port Washington, and I'm really excited about that work, and I'm kind of thinking about focusing more on that in 2019, and we're adding a creamery to that project, so I really have a passion for the environment and for sustainable food systems, and that kind of helps me get back to that core love of mine, but I truly don't have much beyond that right now. I am looking at some projects right here in River West. I'm really hoping to stay close to home and, you know, not change what is, I, I love River West and it's beautiful. If there are ways I can complement what is already nonconformist and diverse and beautiful about River West, I'll look to do that. But I certainly don't want to be part of any momentum to change it. And I know um, it's really just about reinvesting in what's here. So I'll look for those projects. So if anybody's looking to co-develop some, maybe in 2020. All right. And because you said it on air, I think River West Radio and or Milwaukee both get like a slight commission on that. I'm Absolutely. pretty sure that's how that works. Absolutely. You bet. I, I want to talk about something that you just sold, actually. Behind the Clock Shadow building on, what is that, 2nd and Bruce, mm -hmm. you had uh, a nondescript industrial building that you must have just purchased sometime along the way. And now Indeed Brewing uh, from Minnesota is going to move in. How did that transaction come about? Well, it's interesting. We bought that project, that building, because it, it was adjacent to my clock shadow building in Walker's Point, which was one of my first big developments. 
And I bought it because I got to know the owner who was very old and been there forever and was looking to not, you know, see somebody just come in and ruin the neighborhood. So we had a relationship and I didn't have a plan and I don't typically do that. So that was a rare building that I held and I held it to help protect my investment. And after a while, it felt like if I just keep doing this, I'm I'm just like any other absentee owner who isn't really adding value back to the neighborhood. So I decided to put it on the market either for rent or for sale to see what would come up. I was only willing to form the right partnership. And Indian Brewing seemed like a great fit. You know, they're not local, but they have a thriving local business. They give back socially in their community, and it would bring, you know, new business and new tax revenue to the city. I felt like it was a good fit for that location. So it just happened because we had it in the market, to be honest with you. It was like nothing special about it. Well, all right. Well, I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what happens there. I think it'll be a, a nice fit for the good. neighborhood. I want to talk a bit about the clock shadow building because there's, there's something I'm not sure is true. I've been told the, the bricks in the building, where are they from? Oh, what have you heard? I've heard they're from the Schlitz Brew House. Oh, no. I did build a house with um, Schlitz Brewery Bricks um, around that same time. But I, I guess the answer is I don't know where they're from. Technically, that could be true. Um, they're really from the Brickyard, which is a source for used bricks in Milwaukee. And they are Milwaukee-based Cream City Bricks. And the, and the Brickyard assembles bricks from demos that happen all over time. So could some of the Schlitz Brewery Bricks have made it into that stockpile? I don't know. I think it's made up of hundreds of pieces and parts of Milwaukee history is what I like to say. Well, that's good to know. What what can you tell us about the Sherman Phoenix project? What's What did you find? I see there's like a bank vault that is still left behind. There isn't much. You know, the burning of it really sucked. It kind of um, took a lot out of it. We do have some really historic medallions that were in this classic roof of the bank lobby that we haven't figured out what to do with. We have a lot of safe doors. Beyond that, it was kind of gutted in the 70s, so it really had nothing special to it. We saved all the bones. Actually, when we if you haven't been there, you really got to go because it's the architectural character of it's really just on the walls right now. All the clay tiles are exposed. The interior bricks are exposed. We do have some old like 70s glass doors that were probably in the executive offices that um, we repurposed into signage. But it's just it's just an alive, interesting, curious space that it's really great to check out. I enjoyed when I was stopped in, I walked downstairs and there's on the mm-hmm. walls photos of what it looked like, I assume, in the state you inherited the building in. Yeah, we got we have walked through the project with a photographer and he walked with us the whole journey. And we have many more photographs than are in the gallery, but it's o- an open gallery showing those pictures. And there's also some blueprints we found uh, during the redevelopment that we framed that were the original blueprints that are literally blue. Were they actually like in the building? They were Talk- in the building. We oh. found them, like found them in a wall. It was pretty wow, cool. That's yeah, it's pretty cool. What do you see happening in Milwaukee? I mean, I'm not asking just about you, but what's your vision? What should happen in Milwaukee next year? What do you see happening? You know, the new year is only a week or two away. And I hope that in Milwaukee, we keep moving towards racial equity. That's my primary um, focus these days. And for me, that means that we'll, you know, because I use real estate, that we'll keep seeing these redevelopment projects happen in neighborhoods like Sherman Park and Lindsay Heights, and that they will happen by, of, and for benefit of residents who live there. So I hope that we keep building on these projects. What, I, what I've what i built is these crowdfunded projects that ultimately I'd love that we would be able to sell them over time to neighbors or to tenants in the building, get the money back to the people who've invested, and then they can turn around and invest their money in the next one so we can keep building more and more on each main street. You know, beyond that, be good to each other. Julie, if people want to stay up to date with what you're up to, where can they find you? Um, I'm hiding. I'm retiring. But if, I do have a really outdated website, fixeddevelopment.com. If you'd like to check out the Sherman Phoenix, where my heart and soul is right now, that website is shermanphoenix.com. And I, I'm usually there most days, so come visit me. Well, thanks for joining us, Julie. Everyone else, have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year.